Turn to Psalm 125. While you're turning, I just want to say it's been a privilege being here. We are so thankful for this body, for the seminary, the opportunities we have to serve and to be involved. And that's really a great benefit of this particular seminary is that we not only get really good training academically, but also we can put it to practice when our pastors tell us to preach on Sunday nights. And not only that, but just, you know, with me, I've been able to teach Sunday school now for the past two years and been able to teach in our community group and just been able to serve and see what all is going on in this church. So it's a great benefit of this kind of context of such a strong commitment to the local church. And actually was with a guy at Expositors, a friend of mine who graduated and and he lived right in the middle of the country, and he had to decide where he wanted to go. Did he want to go to Masters out in the West in California, or at the time, Expositors, which was on the East Coast. And so he was weighing it out, and he decided on the, the Expositors because of that local church opportunity. And not to say that Masters doesn't have it. There's just hundreds of students there who are trying to serve. So it's kind of nice in this setting having that. So. It's a great benefit. Well, tonight, benefit is going to be the key word. We're going to be talking about benefits. So all of us here, we we like benefits. Say you get offered a job, you're probably going to ask, where are the benefits? Are they, is it a pension plan, Um, insurance? What are the sick days like? Do we get vacation days? So those are good things, things we really like. And But one thing about us, whether or not you have or I have benefits in our jobs, we all have benefits as being Christians. And I think that's something that we just so often forget in life, something I forget all the time, just the great benefit of following Christ. So one benefit in particular is the fact that we're saved from our sins, and we don't have to go to hell for all of eternity. And it's amazing how, on the day-to-day life, we just don't think about that. Especially me, and then we end up getting worried and stressed out about things. And it's just so hard to have that eternal perspective. But that is a huge benefit. We have been forgiven of all of our sins, and now we have a heavenly Father. And especially now that I am a father, I can understand it much more, the love that he has for us. Because I think of how much I love my daughter, and, and I want to take care of her. And yet we have the God of the universe who wants to take care of us. So that is just one benefit. That's the eternal benefit. But not only that, we have benefits here and now. We're, our Christian life is just full of benefits. So that brings us to Psalm 125, and what we're going to look at are three benefits for those who live by faith in God. So verse 1 says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, moved, but abides forever. First of all, I just want to talk about what it means to trust in the Lord. I've talked about it before, but it's just one of those things that's probably one of my favorite things about God is that he's faithful and he is trustworthy. So the term is used in 
different ways. The way it's translated, for example, is to, re- to rely upon. Um, it could mean to have confidence in. Or the idea of having a feeling of security. It causes you to feel sure and secure because of something. So some positive examples would be trusting in God's protection, trusting in his wisdom, in his way. But then there are also some negative examples if you search this term. And generally, they're more focused on a man-centered view of life. So trusting in yourself. In some examples, trusting in fortified walls or in one's own achievements or in one's own wealth and their money or even in one's own craftiness. So those are a few examples. And let me just give you just a few verses. And, and as I was studying this, it was just moving. I just felt moved just how amazing this is. Um, Psalm 911 says, Those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you have not forsaken those who seek you. Another verse says, The king trusts in God's steadfast love, and he will not be shaken. Psalm 27.3 says, Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. And in that verse, that term is the same term that we use for trusting. So the idea of confidence. Psalm 32.10 says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but those who trust in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround them. And that's a very fitting verse for this um, psalm here. That idea of surrounding, we'll get to that. And in Psalm 56, 4 and 5, it's my favorite. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, and who, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? It's amazing how often we fear men, isn't it? So then why do we trust in the Lord? Well, the scripture says, because he is our everlasting rock. He is our protector. It even says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. So it's a good reminder for us. And I think it's a good reminder as well is the fact that trusting God is a privilege. There's no reason why we should not trust in him. Since those who trust in God are fixed and they are firm and as stable as Mount Zion, which leads us to the next part of verse. So back to verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. So what does it mean to be like Mount Zion? Well, it helps a little bit if we just look at the context of the psalm. So this psalm was one of the psalm of ascents. So what that means is pilgrims would go up to Jerusalem for three required festivals. And so Jerusalem was surrounded by mountains. And not only that, but it was at a higher elevation. So as they were ascending into the holy city, they were actually going up from all directions. So these songs were probably sung as the pilgrims were ascending up Mount Zion. And then it says, Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. So once again, it helps to understand kind of what the original people were thinking. And when they, thought of, when they heard Zion, it was known as God's dwelling place. It was an emblem of permanence. And it represented the firm and protected 
condition of God's people. So they understood that when this psalm is saying they're like Mount Zion, that's a good thing. And then here's a verse, Psalm 46, 4 and 5. This is kind of a good cross-reference. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Speaking of Zion, Mount Zion. The holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. So this brings us to the next part of the verse. It says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. And that term has this idea of it not being shaken. It's, it's like firm, firmness. First Chronicles 16.30 says, Tremble before him all the earth. Indeed, the world is firmly established. established. It will not be moved. So it's the same term. So just as the earth doesn't move, it's established, it's firm. That's how Mount Zion is. And that's how those are who trust in the Lord, which hopefully it's like all of us. So one commentator puts it this way, to an Israelite, mountains were the symbol of all that was unmovable, immovable, and unchangeable. unchangeable. Mount Zion is here named in particular because it was so intimately connected with divine purpose. To that rock-solid mount, the pilgrims were making their way. No storms of trial could shake it. But back to the text, it cannot be moved, but abides forever. So that term meaning to remain, to dwell. And notice that it abides forever for those who trust in the Lord. So like I was saying, that's not only to Israel, but that's to us, because we all, hopefully, trust in the Lord, although at times we struggle with that. So some persons are like the sand, ever-shifting and treacherous. Some are like the sea, Restless and unsettled. Some are like the wind, uncertain and inconstant. But believers are like a mountain, strong, stable, and secure. So think about it like this. He who by his strength sets fast the mountains by that same power stays the heart of them that trust in him. So it's something we can ask. Are we stable? Do we feel stability? In the midst of our trials, are we trusting firmly in the Lord? So what then is the first benefit of those who live by faith? Those who live by faith are stable. Stable just like Mount Zion. Now this leads us to the second benefit. Not only are those who live by faith stable, but also those who live by faith are protected. And we can see this from verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. So it helps to look at uh, geography, surprisingly. I had a geography class in the seminary and actually learned a lot. And here's something that I learned. So when you're looking at the mountains of Jerusalem, it says, the Lord's care for his people was likened to the wall of mountains around Jerusalem. The city was high. The surrounding mountains were higher, especially the Mount of Olives on the east. The hill of evil counsel on the southeast, Mount Scopus on the north, and the rising plateau on the west. So you have then this high, highly elevated city, 
and surrounded by these even higher mountains. So these mountains, they not only shelter them from winds and storm, but also whenever an enemy force would come, it would be difficult to get through because of just the natural barrier of these mountains. So just think of the great comfort that the Israelites would have felt when, they, when it says that they are like the mountains. So God, he surrounded them like the mountains do. I mean, just think about that level of protection there. So here's a good illustration from Josephus. He tells the story of Titus who was besieging this very city. And he says, he found it impossible, and this is speaking of Titus, to invest it completely until he had built a wall around the entire sides of these mountains, nearly five miles long, with 13 places at intervals in which he stationed garrisons, which added another mile and a quarter to these vast earthworks. The whole was completed, says the Jewish historian, in three days, so that what would naturally would have required some months was done in so short an interval as is incredible. Assaults upon the city, even then, could, be, could only be delivered effectively upon its level corner to the northwest, whence every hostile advance was necessarily directed in all its various sieges. To those familiar with these facts, beautifully bold, graphic, and forceful is the psalmist's figure of the security of the Lord's people. So how then does the Lord surround us? Well, for us, there is no gap in our hedge of protection like there was in Zion in the northwest. We have no weak spots that the Lord is, that he might accidentally miss. God, he completely surrounds us and he protects us from all sides. Notice it says, this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah 54.10 states, For the mountains may be removed, and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken. So even if the mountains go away, we can trust in the Lord and his protection for us. So looking back then at verse 2, it says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. So in light of this, we can have confidence no matter how difficult the situation, whether it's losing a job or having a loved one that's in the hospital or any kind of difficult circumstance, we can have confidence that the Lord is protecting us, that he is surrounding us. Verse 3 adds further to this um, protection. Verse 3 says, For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. So notice first that it begins with a word for. And, you know, why is it here? And surprisingly, I think the ERV has a a good um, summary of this verse. And if you're not familiar, the ERV is the easy-to-read translation. And it says, The wicked will not always control the land of those who do right. If they did, even those who do right might start doing wrong. So I think the idea is good. So even though the translation is simple, the verse is showing God's protection of his people and not allowing the scepter of wickedness to rest on the land. 
Or in other words, by not allowing wicked leadership to be permanent over the land. And so he uses the term scepter. And the scepter basically was a symbol of rule and oppression. So prolonged oppression might tempt the Israelites to despair or to deny their allegiance to God and make common cause with the enemy of their faith and nation. So, granted, wicked people, they did rule the land of Israel at times. We can see that as we read the Old Testament. But what we see is that God was using those people to refine Israel, and ultimately he would wipe out these wicked nations that dwelt in the land. So I'll reread it. Verse 3, For the scepter of wickedness, so like the wicked leaders, shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. So that's speaking of the promised land, speaking of the land of Israel. And then, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. So that's kind of an interesting statement. Um, what is going on with this statement? Well, it goes to show the impact of wickedness on a nation. I mean, just look at our own nation. It's so easy for us to be to see the wickedness within the culture and to get sucked in and to be desensitized, especially to what we hear on the radio and what we watch on TV. So in Israel's context and ours too, you know, a wicked leader and a wicked nation um, just had a very negative moral and ethical effect on the people. So taking out the wickedness would keep the righteous from being tempted from following in the wickedness, the wicked's footsteps. So it's how the Lord would protect his people. So even though this is stated, the wickedness shall not rest on the land, God, he did allow, like I said, he allowed Israel to face difficulties. And this is kind of brings up some good points to consider for us. Now, why would God allow trials to come to the land of Israel? And for that matter, for us, and there's some few reasons. I mean, there are many, but here are some to consider. Um, he allowed wickedness so that the wickedness could show itself. So when they saw wickedness in the land, they could see the evil deeds and just how terrible they were. Not only that, it was for the purpose so that the righteous would hate sin. And so that those who are not true Israel would fall away. And so that God's just retribution could be seen. So the fact that God would punish the wicked in the land, it showed that he was just. And so that God could use wicked nations to judge Israel. So these are things to consider for us today in a similar way. You can ask yourself, you know, am I hating sin when I see wickedness in the world? That's something that's easy for us to see, especially when we see it in a glamorized way. Am I thinking of the glory God will receive when he gives out righteous judgment on sin? I think that's one of the flaws of our world today. We don't consider the fact that God is the righteous judge, and he will judge sin. And am I considering that my trials may be the result of God's discipline for my good? So as we have seen, there are benefits to living by faith. And the first benefit is that a person who lives by faith is stable. 
And the second benefit is the person who lives by faith is protected. Well, the third benefit is that those who live by faith are blessed. So this comes from verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. So the psalmist here, he now is switching gears. He talks initially about how the Lord protects and surrounds those who trust in him. And now the psalm petitions for the Lord to do good for the upright. Or in other words, do good to those who are sincere in their commitment to him. And this idea is not uncommon in Scripture. Psalm 710 says, My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. Psalm 8411 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So we can rest assured that living for the glory of God is, in fact, for our greatest good. And God's commandments are not meant to be harsh, but they're meant to be a good thing. I've heard it once said the Ten Commandments should be called the Ten Don't Hurt Yourself. They're, They're good for us. So it says, do good to those who are upright in heart. And that's just meaning those whose ways are straight. It really has that idea of going on the straight path and not being crooked. It kind of reminds me of the Pilgrim's Progress where Christian was told to go on the one path, and yet he keeps going off the path, and things keep happening that are not good for him. And yet for us, we need to be upright in heart. We need to be following that straight path. And so... Also, it says upright in heart, and I've talked about heart before, but in summary, heart, it's just really talking about the seat of one's moral character, um, of one's motives. It's all that you are. It's, it's how you act. It's your desires, your feelings, your emotions. It's, as my teacher says, a mission control center. So it's how you're characterized. We all should be characterized as those who are upright. It needs to be who we are. And also, just it's of note that he doesn't say, do good, O Lord, to those who are perfect and sinless and spotless and never do anything wrong. It says, to those who are sincere and honest, who are upright. And that needs to be our aim as Christians. We want to be sincere. We want to live a life of uprightness. Verse 5, though, gives a sober warning. So what you have in verse 5 is the reality that sometimes those people, can, people in general can be swayed by the wicked. They can follow their paths, and before you know it, they're following them completely. And so it says, But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. So what does it mean then to turn aside to your evil ways? Well, it is a warning to those who might turn aside from the Lord that problems will come. Those who are, who are led, astray, led astray will share the judgment of the wicked. And this idea is prevalent in all of our scriptures. Um, the idea that the wages of sin is death. You know, the idea that bad company corrupts good morals. 
And if you want to see a vivid example, just read um, the Old Testament and watch how Israel, time and time again, gets influenced by the pagan cultures, and then they start worshiping those gods, and, and bad things happen. Um, turn with me to Proverbs 1.10. I just want to read a, another passage. This passage just gives a really good example of this. It's just a really good illustration. says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like shield, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our house with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall have one purse. My son. Do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of the bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. So, as you see this proverb here, you see the, the errors and just the problems with going alongside the wicked. The ending, it takes this life, it's gained by violence. It's, it really is destructive. And it's something for us that we need to be on guard. We need to be careful who we spend time with. So we can see that the, the, det- um, the detriment for those who turn aside your crooked ways it, it's, it's terrible. It, it only leads to misery. It leads to ruin. Well, we have a contrast. If you just notice in verse 4 and 5, um, when you turn back to uh, Psalm 115, so we have those who, in verse 5, who turn aside to their crooked ways versus those who are upright, who are on the straight path. So these two are in direct contrast those who do right, they stay straight. They're not turning from one end to the other. Whereas the crooked, the wicked are considered crooked. They're, they're turning left and right. They're not upright. One commentator does a good summary of this verse. He says, the way of sinners are crooked. They shift from one pursuit to another and turn hither and thither to deceive. They wind about a thousand ways to conceal their base intentions, to accomplish their iniquitous projects, or to escape the punishment of their crimes. Yet, disappointment, detection, confusion, and misery are the inevitable portion. So let us be reminded then that sin is a perversion of what is straight and right. It reminds us of the story in Deuteronomy 9.16, of the golden calf incident. So just think about how quickly they turn from the straight path to the crooked ways. It says, you have made for yourself a molten calf. You have turned aside quickly 
from the way the Lord commanded you. So this term is the same one in Psalm 125.5. Just as it says the wicked turn aside, in the Deuteronomy passage, they turned aside from God's ways. And so it's just a good reminder for us that it's easy to turn away. Just think, about, think back to how much the Israelites saw. They saw the glories of God delivering them out of Egypt through the servant Moses. I mean, think of about all the plagues, all the things, the wonderful things God did. Think about how the, the crossing of the Red Sea. And just imagine those waters coming up. The way also that God provided for them with food, manna from heaven, quail. And then as well, the amazing and terrifying experience on Mount Sinai. That had to be a sight to see. The mount full of smoke and fire. And don't touch it or you'll be killed. And they didn't want to go up there, so they told Moses to go. And that's just really uh, amazing to think then how quickly after that he was up there for a few days. And then they so quickly turned to other things, turned to idolatry. Yet, I think, though, we all do the same thing. And that's the thing. It's, it's real easy, I think, to be critical of people in the Bible. And I think part of it is because we see a really long story and years upon years of time. And yet, how often do we not trust in God, especially in little things? And especially in light of what God has just done for us, and we think, oh, this is just amazing. And yet, then we so quickly just forget about God. Well, the psalm ends, and it says, Peace be upon Israel. So the, the psalm ends with peace, and the term here is shalom. And if you, uh, any of you have heard Hebrews say that, it's how they say hello or goodbye. And what that means is it's wholeness, it's completeness, it's well-being, it's welfare. And it's a fitting prayer to end the psalm. And the thing that's great about it is not only is this peace for Israel, but it's for those who have faith, which is for us. And we know that through Christ, we can have true peace. And Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you. And then he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So through Christ, we can have true peace, true joy no matter what the circumstances. And why? Well, because we are like Mount Zion. We are stable. And as the mountains surround, surrounded Mount Zion, so God surrounds us. So there is great benefit to having faith in God. Just think about those benefits. We can be stable. No matter what happens in life, no matter what the problems, we can have a confidence and a trust that God is in control, that he is sovereign over the events in our lives. Not only that, we are protected from God. And we know that God will not let us be tempted above what we can handle. And we know that any kind of problem that comes our way, God is in control, and he's allowing it for our good so that we can be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And then also we are blessed. And I think it's safe to say, especially with uh, missionary reports, the Lord blesses us. He just he constantly takes care of us. He constantly gives us good things. He provides for us in so many ways. And 
definitely my wife and I can attest to that. The, this time here as a seminarian, the Lord is just taking care of us left and right with friends and family, with support. He's given us cars and multiple cars. It's just amazing. <laughs> Two cars God gave us. Um, <laughs> glory to God. Yeah. So the Lord, he, he blesses us. And hopefully with this psalm in mind, we can go throughout the week and have trust in God. I was thinking on a way here, it would be so nice if I really trusted in God and could be stable. And, but I don't. You know, I forget. You know. But if really we could just trust in him, it just wouldn't matter what happened in life. Whatever it is, you know God is in control. Well, a few weeks ago, I had a, the privilege of going back home and editing a, a wedding with my brother as a side job, another blessing from the Lord. And uh, a guy in there was singing this hymn, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. And, uh, and I kept editing it, so I kept hearing it over and over again, which is good. And, and, and then the guy singing didn't really sing very well, so I, was, I just... I got the song stuck in my head, <laughs> which is a great thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I could do any better. You know, I'm better at standing and talking. You know, if I sang this hymn, you would all have ear infections. So I'm not going to do that. But I was thinking about that today. Actually, we were, we sung it this morning, and I, I remembered. And I, I just thought, man, that's a really good song, really good hymn for this passage. It, just has such great benefits. So I'm going to read some of this hymn. Don't worry, I won't sing it. Um, and we'll f- close with this hymn. It says, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I'm finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power, thou hast made me whole. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Oh, how great thy loving kindness, vaster, broader than the sea. Oh, how marvelous thy goodness, lavished all on me. Yes, I rest in thee, beloved. Know what wealth of grace is thine. Know thy certainty of promise and have made it mine. Simply trusting thee, Lord Jesus, I behold thee as thou art, and thy love so pure, so changeless, changeless, satisfies my heart. Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight, and we praise you for being a God who loves us, a God who wants to protect us, because of you, we can be stable. It says to trust in you in this psalm, which means you are trustworthy. You are a faithful God. We thank you for that. And not only can we trust in you for your protection and for making us stable, but we can also trust in you because you are good. And you just you love to do good things for us. You love to bless us, even though we don't deserve it. We're sinners, and we deserve hell. And we just thank you so much for loving us. 
and for sending your son, Jesus, to die for us. Lord, we just pray that as we go about our daily lives, we will have this in mind. We are so easy, so prone to forget. It's so easy just to forget what you have done. It's so easy in the midst of difficulties in life to not be thinking about eternity. But we just pray that you can help us to trust in you and to have that eternal mindset so that we can glorify you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.